to be honest. We tried to record this two days ago, but we ended up just having a really good unrecorded conversation, so here we are today. Hello everyone and welcome back to To Be Honest. I'm your host Grace. And I'm your host Amy. As I am nearing graduation, I am having a lot of identity crises. Mm-hmm. And one question that has been on my mind for a long time, but I don't think I've ever really, really answered, is who do you want to be in the future? Like, what do you want your future self to look like? Because honestly, the question seems pretty straightforward. It's like, I am pretty sure that we've probably had to write some type of random reflection on that at school before. Mm-hmm. But it's easy to answer in isolated qualities, you know? It's just like, I want to improve my organization skills or something like that. I want to be someone who's more confident. But I always had trouble answering this question because it always felt like I had this long list of qualities, but I lacked this idea of a bigger picture, like the actual vision of who do I want to be in the future. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I get that. My original idea of visualizing the future self of me was just improving the qualities that were not so good right now. Mm -hmm. So my punctuality, my thoughtfulness, my responsibility, confidence, stuff like that. It's like those are all qualities that I want to improve on so I was just like my future self will just have all of those qualities plus the ones that I'm already confident in right now but it feels kind of inauthentic in a way because it just has that feeling of leveling up stats you know for all these gamer kids it's like instead of having a vision of who I want to be in the future it feels more like I'm playing a game with myself and all these different qualities and it's just like oh I need to invest more points into my punctuality Mm -hmm. but I started worrying like your bad qualities are kind of part of your identity, you know? It's like, if I if I get rid of my very poor punctuality, then I'm sure my friends will appreciate that very much. But also, <laughs> this is kind of bad, but I think my punctuality is kind of part of my personality in some ways. It's definitely not a good quality, but it is something that is part of me. So if I get rid of that, I'm just like, am I erasing part of my identity? Yeah, no, I totally relate to that because back when I was in like late middle school, I went through a phase where I was very heavily like Enneagram type nine, kind of floaty, just wanting to keep the peace. And I feel like during that time, because I was so reflective, it was really easy for me to spot some of the changes that I wanted to make in my life. And it almost felt like like too easy and mm-hmm. I actually like at first I was really happy because I was growing closer to the person I wanted to be and then I just had this whole identity crisis because I'm like I'm changing all these parts of me does that like am I still me and am I just being fake now like am I just putting out this fake version of myself this like pretend perfect version of myself and is that not authentic and like I totally had the same um thoughts as you were talking about where I just wasn't sure if that was still me and I wasn't sure if it was bad for me to be doing this because it like you said it almost feels like you're erasing parts of your identity and Mm -hmm. what makes us human is like those flaws I was wondering like does the discrepancy between your strongest qualities and your weakest qualities matter 
So using the same analogy, for someone who has a very well-balanced personality, a really well-balanced life, then they would have really well-balanced stats, right? Their extroversion and introversion bar might be really similar. Anyways, they don't have any like two standout qualities, whereas strong personalities, I imagine, would have like some areas that are super, super strong and some areas that are pretty weak. Mm -hmm. So for the (laughs) well-balanced version, I can imagine that it would be something similar to an Enneagram type 9, right? Yeah, Enneagram type 9 is the type of person who just strives to keep the peace. They can see things from everyone's perspectives, but they struggle to find their own perspective in things. Mm -hmm. They're kind of like that just floaty personality who doesn't come on super strong. They're like kind of known as the most balanced, I guess, out of the Enneagram personalities. Mm -hmm. So they can see things from all these different perspectives, but they struggle on really finding their own strong personality because they kind of just go with the flow all the time yeah so if i'm just improving on all the weak qualities i have right now am i just mm-hmm. distilling my personality question mark you know that's actually a really interesting question because i totally see where you're coming from but at the same time this is based on just like my upbringing and what my dad has told me but he always says your weakness is like your weakest link. Mm. So if you think of all of your strengths as bars, your average strength isn't actually, like your total strength isn't actually your average strength. It's more like wherever your weakest one is. Mm. So if you have one weak bar, it might stop you from accomplishing something that you want to do just because of that weak bar. So like that weak link is kind of what's causing you to not be able to do something. But at the same time, I totally see what you're saying about like feeling like you're distilling your personality because I agree that I feel like a lot of the stronger personalities we see are kind of less balanced because once you get to that super balanced kind of type nine vibe that we were talking about earlier, it's a lot harder for you to express that strong personality because all of a sudden you're seeing things from all these different perspectives and then you're not sure if you're quote-unquote right anymore or you're not sure if people will judge you for saying what you're saying because you can see things from all these different perspectives and you can like understand all these different ways of looking at the problem Mm -hmm. where it's almost like a bit overwhelming where you're not really sure what you should be voicing anymore because you can see everything. Yeah, I can imagine like type nines are the type that would never get involved in drama because yeah, <laughs> yeah and then like the opposite of type nine people are the people who would but also yeah. like that would make their life more interesting. <laughs> Not mm. to say that that's a good thing, but that's something that uh, middle school Amy definitely wanted. Yeah, no, I can agree because as someone who very much identified with a type nine for the longest time, it was... Not to say boring necessarily, but it was kind of overwhelming and it was kind of like, I didn't feel like I was living. I just felt like I was a robot or like I felt like I was looking at the situation from above or like an outsider. I felt like my life was a movie and I was just watching it happen and not actually making decisions, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. No, that does It was sense. like I was like a bystander and just seeing things from like all these different perspectives and being afraid to voice my own opinions. And so it does feel quote unquote boring because you can see a lot of the consequences of things or you can see a lot of the different perspectives of things so you're less likely to make big decisions or take risks 
and in that way it kind of feels boring because then you won't really get those crazy life experiences and opportunities that you often get when you do take risks. Mm-hmm. And branching off my issue where I couldn't come to a conclusion about the type of person I wanted to be, I think part mm-hmm. of the problem in that is that I've learned to function best under pressure without the looming <laughs> danger of deadlines or future determining high marks. I feel like I don't really have that mm-hmm. much motivation to do something that doesn't directly threaten me so especially when it Mm -hmm. comes to wanting to change your personality or identity wanting to work towards the future version of yourself it's kind of hard to do so and nothing's really forcing you yeah I do totally get that and one of the things that I actually do whenever I'm feeling unmotivated okay I think back to this one quote and I was like searching the internet for the source of this quote because I wanted to credit them but it goes every once in a while you get a glimpse of the person you could be Hold on to that. Nothing is out of reach. And that's a quote by Michael Bliss. And I really like that quote because I feel like it perfectly sums up um, that feeling I have when I get a glimpse of like who I want to be in the future and I feel motivated to work on myself. And something that I actually like to do when I'm feeling unmotivated in terms of like self-improvement is I like to make a list of qualities that ideal me has so like the best version of me or like the person I'm striving to be I like to make a list of qualities that person has and I also like to make a list of people who inspire me because Amy and I were actually talking about this where she was asking like do you envision yourself when you think of the person you want to be and I was like well Kind of, but I feel like I also, more than anything, just envision like a patchwork quilt of people who inspire me. So it's almost like I'm envisioning little Mm -hmm. characteristics that I like from other people more than I'm envisioning myself exhibiting those characteristics, if that makes sense. Okay, I like that because I think the the issue with me envisioning myself versus me wanting to envision Mm -hmm. other people was one of the like pieces of resistance when it came to putting together my definition of what I want my future mm-hmm. self to look like but okay I was thinking the question of um who is your idol is a pretty popular one yeah. too right and then usually we just like say my mom <laughs> or something like that but Grace and I were talking about this and then no one's perfect right like I love mm-hmm. my mother and she has many good qualities but also like I don't necessarily want to become her mm-hmm because I am me and which is what led us to the conclusion that our perfect versions of ourselves are just like as Grace said a patchwork quilt of all the different qualities we admire from people around us but also that's one of the pieces that made it difficult for me to get a true vision of the person I wanted Hmm. to become because if I just truly wanted to become my mother then I have a very clear picture of who I want to become but when I'm just like looking at a bunch of qualities from a handful of people then that leads to the issue with the whole stats thing and isolated qualities Mm -hmm. thing where I'm like am I just improving on random qualities that I admire is that really me am I am I like really taking my personality into a whole comprehensive direction or am I just trying to improve these little things about my personality Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I remember when Amy first brought that up, she thought that like, she was kind of alone in that, I think she was like, I feel like other people probably have an idea of the person they want to be. And like, 
know how to change to become that person whereas I feel like I'm just making micro changes but like if we think about it that way Mm -hmm. then is all of self-improvement just like having all these different stats of characteristics and choosing which ones to increase and which ones to decrease and like I think the thing with that is that different people have different parts that they want to emphasize like different characteristics that they want to emphasize so characteristics aren't inherently good or bad most of the time obviously they could have good or bad connotations kind of but you know the person that I want to be is different from the person that Amy wants to be and the person that we want to be is different from the people that other people want to be. That's helpful because I think I had a revelation after we had that conversation Mm. two days ago um, where my conclusion on me determining the person I wanted to become was kind of the opposite of my impression of it in the (laughs) first place, which is instead of improving bad qualities, I wanted to kind of improve on my good qualities. You know Grace's quote where she says every day we get little glimpses of the people we want to become? Like, at first, when she said that quote, the the first thing that came to mind was, oh, those are glimpses from the people we idolize, like, the people we look up to. But then I thought about it some more, and I'm just like, oh, what if it's little glimpses from our own lives, you know, Mm. from the the people we are sometimes? Because, like, we're we're never really the same person from day to day, especially me. Depending on my mood, I feel like my personality shifts a lot. So I love myself when I'm having those really good and confident feeling days, Mm. and I do not like myself very much some other days when I'm not feeling very great Mm -hmm. so like in regards to the whole finding a direction for my identity thing where I felt like I wasn't really taking it anywhere I felt like I was elevating isolated qualities the whole time I think I can get that sense of direction for myself by choosing the better side of myself and moving in that direction and it's more like increasing the frequency where you are your good self yes Yeah. So the change to my identity and the version to myself that I was really looking for was really just the parts of me that I already admire. So I am already who I want to be, but I just (laughs) want to be that version of myself more often. When I first heard Amy say that, I was like, oh my gosh, wait, like that makes so much sense. And it makes me feel a lot less confused Mm -hmm. because I feel like I was thinking about the future version of myself as too far away of a thing Mm -hmm. and then part of the issue was I couldn't really see it as myself that makes no sense but it kind of makes sense in my brain all right Mm -hmm. (laughs) but then when I think of it that way as just like me choosing the better version of myself that already exists then that's already there I don't have to go really looking for it I don't have to like ponder of what the good version of myself is because you just feel it I know the good version of myself and I know the bad version of myself it's it's like something that comes from the heart yeah wait does that mean that um the person you want to be is like the person that you are on the good days like so the person you already are and then the perfect person is like your idea that kind of like more hard to reach abstract concept because I was re-listening to another episode of our podcast the other day but I remember that we brought up this one question that was does the perfect person like does your idea of the perfect person deviate from the person that you want to be and like why Mm -hmm. would they be different and I feel like it was something that I wasn't really clear about at the time, but it was definitely something that I wanted to revisit. And we had this really good conversation the other day, and I was like, wait, that actually makes a lot more sense. To be honest, I remember when Grace brought up this question, and I didn't really 
get it. Mm-hmm. Why don't we give them an example? Because that helps me understand it. Yeah. Because, like, the question is, wait, why won't you just want to be the perfect person, you know? Because if that's the perfect yeah. person, isn't that the person that you want to be? But I feel like they're yeah. different sometimes. So I know that the perfect person in my mind is confident. And this perfect person is, like, secure in themselves. But they're also really kind to other people. However, the person that I want to be right now, like, from where I'm at right now, I don't know if I want to be confident in that way. Because... Like, the person that I want to be is more almost, like, a bit self-deprecating and a bit self-sacrificial. And, like, I know Mm -hmm. that that's not what a perfect person would exhibit, but it comes from a fear of coming off as, like, not relatable or, like, a fear of coming off as, oh, I'm better than you. So, like, Mm -hmm. maybe I am self-deprecating and self-sacrificial and like maybe that's not a good thing but at least I can be nice and relatable to other people like at least I'm distancing myself from the idea of the person who's like oh I'm better than you mm-hmm. <laughs> the other example that Grace gave me mm-hmm. is you know how some people in middle school <laughs> everyone kind of wants to be a baddie like they mm-hmm. want to come off as cool and then they want to be respected by all their peers yeah and any other route seems pretty lame even though in their brains they probably know that like someone who engages in illicit activities is not necessarily the perfect version of themselves Mm -hmm. but it's like what they want in the moment so that's the conclusion that grace and i came to Mm -hmm. it's almost like what amy was saying earlier about the parts of yourself that you like the person you want to be is the person that you are already on the good days you're just like emphasizing those qualities you know Mm -hmm. and it's almost i don't know it kind of reminds me of Um, You know how sometimes you like the person you are when you're with a certain person? It's almost like that version of yourself. You like that version of yourself. And so the person you want to be is just like a zoomed in version of that version of yourself. Whereas Mm -hmm. the perfect person kind of stems from almost your morals a little bit. Yeah, it's like the good law-abiding citizen. (laughs) Yeah, we had this conversation about identity before, but it's kind of like the legacy you want to leave behind. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so Grace and I, we were looking at the two examples that we brought up, like the person who wants to be the baddie and the Grace who wants to be more (laughs) self-deprecating, even though that's not necessarily a good quality. But our realization was that the person who you want to be is kind of driven by your current struggles. Mm-hmm. And it's more about fitting in with others than, than what you want in the long term. For someone who wants to be a baddie, they want to be that version of themselves because they want to be like cool and respected and they want to fit in with other people. And Grace wants to be self-deprecating and sacrificial so she can fit in and be more relatable with others even though that doesn't really adhere with their values and the legacy they want to leave behind. But it's kind of like what they want in the moment. It's more emotionally driven. Mm-hmm, yeah. Yeah. And another realization we had, it relates back to my struggle with really envisioning the future version of myself, mm-hmm. is that perfect people are kind of removed from reality. Mm-hmm. I kept on thinking of the perfect version as kind of like a book character. And then not like the main protagonist book character either it's like that really cool side character that everyone looks up to and has kind of a mysterious past and who's just like born overpowered but it's hard to actually see yourself becoming that person because it's so removed from reality and 
I think that the the issue with the fitting in with other stuff makes sense in that regards because like the perfect people even in books I feel like their relationships are usually not as fruitful as people with flaws. Yeah, I totally relate to what you were saying because for the longest time, um, when I was in my very filtered phase where I was like trying to put out the best version of myself always and trying to, you know, like paint that illusion of like being very put together and having a perfect life and like kind of like pretending to be a perfect person almost. Um... I feel like I definitely felt very removed from reality and I felt definitely distanced from other people because like it's hard to grow closer with people when you're not sharing your struggles or when you're not sharing that you have those struggles because it just makes you feel like you're just like so far removed and it just makes it feel like you're not comfortable with sharing those struggles with those people and like people like I feel like generally people like to hear what's been going on in your life and they want to hear the real you because that makes it feel like oh I'm trusted enough like they want to tell me about this and it just builds up that trust and like it's kind of a cycle where if one person feels comfortable confiding in someone else the other person will feel more comfortable confiding as well and so um I feel like when I was in that phase of my life where I was trying to be kind of like a perfect person or like live a perfect life um, and like being a bit more filtered, I definitely felt like I was distanced from other people. So I do think like the people who are not perfect people are the ones who might have um, stronger personal connections. Mm -hmm. And I had this hypothesis Mm -hmm. where people who are really confident, people who are, like, closer to that perfect person, they might have trouble um, building stronger personal connections, or they might just be, like, less interested in building really strong personal connections because they get a lot more from feeling successful in contrast to having really good personal relationships. But for people who value personal relationships a lot, I feel like they would have a stronger tendency to want to fit in with others and maybe conform their identity a little bit Mm -hmm. so they can fit in with others. And then that might lead to them maybe not being as successful since they're more willing to change themselves for the sake of fitting in with the norm. Mm -hmm. And then fitting in with the norm is not really a good thing I think because at least in my brain I associate it with like staying in your comfort zone and kind of just like being a sheep and following everyone else's um path (laughs) the person who is closer to the perfect person the person who does not conform and does not put that much value in personal relationships are like those visionaries really successful famous people ahem Steve Jobs (laughs) Elon Musk type of people yeah in my brain at least like I don't know them personally but I don't think they have very strong personal relationships but they have that confidence in their own identity to just do whatever they want and not feel the pressure to conform to others which is one of the reasons why they're successful in my mind Mm -hmm. you know how people like refer to literature for examples of stuff amy just refers to anime yeah i just (laughs) refer to anime that is my literature (laughs) so well read Um, and Anyways, so from another anime, there's this one about this girl who is famous. She's like a famous child actor, but suddenly she like quits acting for a while, takes a hiatus and goes to a normal school, but no one acknowledges her presence. Like she just gets ignored by everyone because, I don't know, I guess they don't 
want to stand out really they don't want to approach her in the first place because maybe they're scared of getting called a clout chaser or maybe they're already comfortable in their own personal friend groups and everything but it seems weird if the famous people came to a normal school you would expect everyone to like surround them and go like wow you're such a cool person da, 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 da. Mm-hmm. oh my god i had another revelation i think um part of the issue why famous people have trouble building strong personal relationships mm-hmm. um especially in a like normal school context is because they're portrayed as like a character in the media you know like they have their PR version of themselves so mm-hmm. no one really sees them as an actual person which is actually like an issue because people get harassed online for that yeah but it's like when you don't really view that person as a person anymore you don't really think of yourself as being their friend because mm-hmm. they're kind of just this like figure in the media mm-hmm. but you don't actually see them as someone you could be friends with yeah anyways the point i was trying to make with the famous people think is that people like they i guess they want to stand out but when it comes to it no one really wants to stand out mm-hmm. no when you yeah. when you first said that i was like oh my gosh wait that's so true because everyone mm-hmm. has that dream of like being special being the chosen one but like Really, at the same time, we just want to be accepted by the people around us. Um, On the topic of wanting to stand out, I remember in the past, mm-hmm. I really wanted to stand out. It's I, I had this whole issue where I felt like my life was really boring and I felt like I was really boring. And I felt like in a way I lacked an identity and I was too much of a wallflower and I wanted drama in my <laughs> life. <laughs> but uh, since then, I don't really relate to that version of myself anymore. But I think when I was in that phase of my life, it was just because I had an insecurity in my own identity and I didn't really know who I was and I just wanted to feel special and I wanted to be respected by others and it was like this whole external validation thing. When I said that, Grace drew up a really good connection, leading it back to Enneagrams, (laughs) our best friend. Yeah, according to the Enneagram Institute, if you do go on to the Enneagram Institute website, they kind of give a brief snapshot of each of the Enneagram numbers. And one of what they have is like their basic desire, like what they really want in life. And that kind of raised the question, like, what do we really want in life? And we're just going to go down the list. But coincidentally, number four for Enneagram number four, um, what they really want in life is to have their own identity. And when Amy answered the question by saying that she wanted to have her own identity, I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> and so I just went on this like crazy excitement phase where I just got so into this rabbit hole. And I was just like, oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. And so I just went through all of the Enneagram numbers and like found what each of their basic desires were or like what they wanted most in life. So... Mm-hmm. Enneagram number one, paint the picture. For people who are not familiar with the Enneagram, Enneagram number ones are the ones that are like the perfectionist. I think a lot of people look up to them. They probably have their life pretty together. Yeah, they're like, it's kind of like bringing up the that girl trend. And what Enneagram ones want most in life is to be good slash to have integrity slash be balanced. I get this. Like, Enneagram number one isn't my main Enneagram number, but I want to be someone with really good morals in a way. Like, I want to be a good person, you know? Like, a lot of the Mm -hmm. time, 
like the person I want to be is someone who is a loyal friend and like a student with integrity and someone who loves learning and someone who leads a balanced lifestyle and almost in a way someone who's like good to the level of like innocence slash like a childlike innocence yeah I can imagine like in our conversation about the people who tend to be closer to that perfect ideal version of people would be like nines and ones or one wing nines or nine wing ones Mm -hmm. yeah but enneagram two their greatest desire in life just so happens to be to be loved and Mm -hmm. my two has always been pretty strong but like the last time we took the enneagram which i think was like around a month ago my two had surpassed my nine and I okay I really related to this because before we even searched up the Enneagram the Enneagram like basic desires we kind of already answered the question of what do you really want in life and this was like pretty much my go-to answer to me to be loved probably means that you're someone who other people gravitate towards and like honestly in a way I feel like that's my whole motivation for self-improvement it's very external because A lot of my motivation comes from the idea that I want to be a better friend and I want to be a better daughter and I want to be a better sister and like I want to be a potential better life partner slash mother in the future. And so because like that's where I mostly receive validation, I feel like I'm someone who receives a lot of my validation from other people telling me that I'm somehow good enough and that could be like through praise or just like kind of implied um and just like people somehow implying that I'm a kind enough person or like a hard-working enough um student or like a supportive enough friend and I don't know if that comes from like a place where I'm not entirely secure in my own identity but I like even though I'm not exactly the person with the most friends I feel like for example Amy is a lot more outgoing than me she's like even though I feel like I'm not exactly that kind of person with like the most friends in the world I really value kind of the other people's words about me or like what other Mm -hmm. people think of me and I don't know lately I've been realizing that like criticism has been harder for me than usual and I think it's because of this seeking so much external validation which might be a problem because when I don't know when it's implied that like I like past grace more or like when I was at work and I would make mistakes because I was um, a waitress and I was like taking people's orders and stuff. So it felt like whenever I made mistakes and like I heard someone wrong or I inputted something wrong, it almost felt like I was giving off the vibe that I didn't care about the person or like I didn't care enough to listen properly or like I wasn't doing good enough at my job. And it was like kind of also that Mm -hmm. external validation because it was changing how other people thought of me, like customers who um, if I made a mistake on their order, if something wasn't right, it felt like it reflected on the person I am. And I felt like that changed their opinion of who I was Mm. in a way. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's interesting because I feel like work 
is a different type of experience where people view you differently because you are like an asset to their business. Mm-hmm. Like the professionalism from there, it's expected for people to kind of be judging you the whole time and like kind of constantly evaluating your performance. Yeah. Um, because if you mess up, like of course they're going to understand that it's just a mistake. Everyone mis- makes mistakes. It's not mm-hmm. a big deal. Um, but also, like, their opinion of you will go down, like, a little bit at least. It's because, like, you're in an environment where they're not really trying to get to know you as a person. They're trying to see, like, how good of an employee you are. They need to have that sort of pressure where you're expected to do good the whole time. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it is kind of not the best experience where if you mess up and then you're just like, oh, she's going to make a mental note of that in her brain. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like it was almost more of the customer's opinions of me than the boss. I know, yeah. Yeah, because like, I feel like they would know that I was trying my best sort of, but it was like almost like, I think I was taking it too personally. I think like to work those jobs in a way you have to kind of separate your personal identity from your work identity and I feel like I was like I was putting a lot of myself out there because like I cared a lot about making sure that people had the best experience they could have there and so it wasn't even like I'm representing my company it was like I'm representing myself like the person I am and if I messed up it was like it felt very personal even though I know I shouldn't have taken it personally but like it felt like I messed up. I see. Okay, I like that point about how when you're working, you kind of have to dissociate yourself from who you are normally. Anyways, um, aside from that tangent, I completely relate to this one. Like when Grace asked me, what do you really want in life? The first thing that came to mind was strong relationships. And then, like, I think that wanting stronger relationships can bring, like, a couple other implications. Like, for Grace, she said that she wanted Mm -hmm. strong relationships so because she got, like, validation from them in a way. And then me, I wanted strong relationships. (gasps) Maybe I am a bit of a six because, like, I wanted that sense of Mm -hmm. security and support. Like, knowing that if I was going to go through something, then there would be people there for me. But also, if you're surrounded by people who love you and then you know who appreciate you and you also respect them so much, then that's, like, the best experience because you're just like wow they love me (laughs) yeah and I guess that can lead into Enneagram type 3 which their motivation is to feel valuable and worthwhile and as discussed before I am unfortunately an Enneagram type 3 (laughs) unfortunately (laughs) Enneagram type 3 for people who are not aware is the achiever They are very, like, I feel like overall they're, like, pretty work and success oriented. And they're, like, very focused Mm -hmm. on um, being able to, like, achieve things and in kind of, like, their career goals. Mm -hmm. I have a theory, another one. I'm a theorist today. Mm -hmm. I am an Enneagram 3 mostly, but with the wing 2. Like, my 2 is also very, very large. Mm -hmm. So I was wondering, like, is it kind of like I want to be successful so I can fit in with others question mark I think like I had a pretty defining experience in elementary school where this is when I was like really insecure about my intelligence and everything and I had friends around me who I really admired Mm -hmm. but then it made me feel insecure 
because it felt like they were so much better than me, you know? And I felt like I didn't really deserve to be friends with them because they were so much better than me. Mm. So then that's where I wanted to, like, become a better version of myself. Like, I wanted to work harder to become smart and everything so then I could fit in with my friends and, like, deserve to be friends with them Mm -hmm. in a way. But that sounds really messed up. (laughs) Uh, Not not really. I feel like it just comes from a place of insecurity, of, like, feeling that you're not enough for your friends, Mm -hmm. which you should never feel because your friends who love you for you will love you for you. We touched on this earlier already, but for the type four... Mm. Oh, right, okay, so I am an Enneagram type three with a wink too but on the other side I can also understand how I could be a type four Mm -hmm. because as we were saying that's the one of wanting to have your own identity and I did have the experience of me wanting to feel special so I could have my own identity Mm -hmm. and for people who aren't familiar with the Enneagram type four is the individualist so they're like the more sensitive withdrawn type And they're very expressive, but they want to have their own identity, like what Amy was saying. Mm -hmm. So I remember I had this crisis a while ago where I quit gymnastics, but then I was like, oh no, I just lost a piece of my identity because I quit gymnastics. Mm -hmm. And um, like my mom for a while, she wanted me to quit piano, but I was like, no, I mustn't quit piano or else I'll lose another part of my identity. <laughs> because extracurriculars do kind of define your identity. It's like your hobbies, right? The things you spend your time doing. Well, next year, you're probably not going to have piano lessons anymore because you're going to be in university, you know? Do you Mm -hmm. feel like you'll be losing part of your identity if you don't do piano lessons anymore next year? Or is it kind of different because everyone is going into university and everyone's quitting a bunch of their extracurriculars and it's like a fresh slate and a new, you know, like a new chapter? Yeah. See, that is the flaw in my argument here. (laughs) And it makes me question my values again. Because my thing was like, oh, I'm not a gymnast anymore. I'm losing a part of my identity. But then when she put it that way, I was like, you're right. I'm not going to be playing the piano anymore after I go to university, probably. But it's like, I don't really see an issue with that either, because that's what everyone else does. Mm -hmm. So am I just forming this version of myself? Like my, is my perfect version of myself the one that's going to get me into university? (gasps) (laughs) (laughs) How shallow am I? (laughs) We don't worry about that. (laughs) Yeah, but I do agree, like with the second part you were saying, Mm -hmm. I think once you go to university and you get that fresh slate, and no one's really doing extracurriculars anymore, then I feel like it is like you approaching a new phase in your life, your adulthood, where you don't necessarily have to do all these extracurriculars anymore. And it's a really, really big part of your life. Mm -hmm. A while ago, I had this epiphany about the notion about not being enough, Mm -hmm. because we see that phrase thrown around a lot, but I don't think I really truly understood the idea Um, Or, like, I didn't attribute the saying to the feeling in my mind yet. Mm. (laughs) Does that make sense? Yeah. I feel like not being enough, it's like an insecurity with your existence. And always feeling like you're not really doing enough with your time. Because I think I've always kind of lived feeling like I wasn't good enough. And then I had to do something to prove my worth as a person. But... Like, as of now, I'm okay with just existing, but I feel like in the past, I was not okay with just existing. I was like, I have to do something to justify my existence. 
it's really interesting because I think I have changed a lot. So when I reflect on my past self and I can still remember my past thoughts, it feels really foreign to me, but I can clearly remember being that person. Mm-hmm. See, I think that's related to my Enneagram type three, like feeling valuable and worthwhile mm-hmm. because I'm just like, oh, I need to do something to prove that it's worth investing in me, Earth. (laughs) (laughs) Moving on, Enneagram number five is the investigator. And this one um, is to be capable and competent, to possess knowledge and understand your environment. And we don't relate to this one as much, I think, but I forced my dad to take the Enneagram a while back and he's a type five. And, like, I see that in him because he literally wants to experience and understand and know everything. And he's um, doing, like, another degree right now. And, like, everyone, I, like, everyone else is kind of, like, they're obviously learning the information, but he goes so deep into it. He's, like, referencing all this different internet stuff and, like, referencing the textbook stuff and making all these connections. He spends, like, hours and hours doing all this stuff and also he just like wants to literally experience everything like whenever we go um out to travel he wants to go everywhere even if there's like literally not enough time to he just like wants to see it all which I think is really cool but if there's a will there's a way (laughs) (laughs) so bro your dad should be a scholar That sounds like the perfect type of person to go into research or something. Honestly, yeah, that'd be so cool. Side note, my dad almost became a paleontologist. And I was like, oh my gosh, it would have been so cool. Like, he almost went into geology. And, like, imagine if I had, like, a dino dad. Not a dino dad, but a paleontologist dad. That would be so cool. (laughs) A dino dad. (laughs) Moving forward, number six is the loyalist. And their primary motivation is to have security and support. And incidentally, this is the one that my father is. That I also forced him to take the Enneagram test. And you know what? It explains a lot. <laughs> I think type six, its description is a little like they're always seeking the safe route. They always want to be secure. They want to protect those around them and make sure no harm comes their way. And seven are, okay, my personal favorite. The enthusiast. Mm-hmm. This is the one that wants to be satisfied and content, mm-hmm. who wants to have their needs fulfilled, and kind of like, they want to maintain their freedom and happiness, and they want to avoid missing out on worthwhile experiences to keep themselves excited and occupied, and avoid and discharge pain. So this one makes a lot of sense to me as well. This was my, like, old goal for a while where I didn't really know where to take my life. I don't know what the new goal is, but this this was my old goal, was to get the most out of the human experience. Like, I wanted to get the most out of life. I wanted to experience all the things I could. And it's a bit of a YOLO mentality. It was kind of like an anchor when I didn't know what to do with myself. Mm-hmm. It was just the promise of, like, I'm going to experience what life has to offer. That's why I'm here on Earth. And then I became an Enneagram type 3. <laughs> I I really relate to what you said about um the Enneagram type 7. Yeah, I totally relate to what Amy was saying about just like living life to the point where you'll have no regrets. Also, branching off of the to be satisfied and content part, I feel like that's partially where my like love from learning comes from almost, where it's like, it's kind of the only way I can be satisfied with 
the school system in a way or mm-hmm. like learning things because like learning for the sake of grades and learning does not like I don't know it's just like it feels very unresolved and it does not make me feel very content in short grace is not an enneagram type three (laughs) i see i can actually relate to some of the enneagram type three stuff but i don't think i relate to it that much yeah Mm -hmm. i i relate to it on the like venn diagram of toxic productivity and always feeling like you have to do more but yeah (laughs) Mm -hmm. so with the Enneagram type seven, because like I had this epiphany the uh, other day and I was actually telling Amy about this earlier where it was like, I feel like this whole love for learning thing is almost like just a comfort to myself when, for example, I don't do my best on a test. I feel content because I know that I learned the material, like I know that I have a good understanding of the subject. But then the other day I realized that I am not actually keeping up with like the curve of forgetting and regularly reviewing the material. So after a while, naturally, I'm going to forget it. And I had this whole existential crisis where I was like, if I really love learning, then I should actually be like reviewing this stuff regularly so that I actually remember it. And I was like, do I really love learning or is it just a way to like be content with school and be content with my life okay wait (laughs) does learning have to mean remembering because like what if you are in love with the process of learning but you're not necessarily in love with having a lot of knowledge at all times I mean I get that because when I understand why something works it's like exhilarating like (laughs) it's like euphoria like you just like understand something and you're like oh my gosh or like when you're doing a math problem or like a difficult problem and you figure it out and it's just that feeling of like pure bliss and you're just like you feel so accomplished so I guess I I see that because like right now um in chemistry a lot of the time when I don't understand why things work I go on this like wild goose hunt on google to try and figure out why it works and then once I do I just have like that silent moment of accomplishment because like no one else knows the rest of the room is quiet but I'm just like my brain um in my brain I'm just like oh my gosh I did it and I just like feel so happy and I just want to like share that with other people so I usually end up just like um annoying my friend Emma the whole time and just like (laughs) showing her this cool stuff that I found but yeah I guess in a way that's a really beautiful way of looking at it yeah because maybe you can still like love learning without necessarily needing to remember everything Mm -hmm. and I had like a similar conversation with my dad and he was like well yeah naturally you're gonna forget it if you don't review it but also like once you understand it the first time it'll be so much easier for you to pick it up because you understand it you might not remember it but you understand it Mm -hmm. so I really like what you said Amy yeah (laughs) number eight of the Enneagram is the challenger and their main goal in life is almost like to protect themselves and to be in control of their own life and destiny and at first that sounds a little bit confusing but I was looking into it a bit more and it's a want to be self-reliant and to prove their strength and to resist weakness to be important in their world to dominate the environment and to stay in control of their situation 
yeah, this one reminds me of, um, if you guys have read Oedipus, of Oedipus. <laughs> wow, look, I'm referring to literature. That is not anime for once. This yeah. is actually... It's about this guy who who discovers that, like, something might be off, and then he decides to, like, take fate in his own hands. Like, the whole theme in the book is fate versus free will. Mm-hmm. So he is a very pro-free will person. So yes. he, as described, wants to be in control of his own situation. He is strong. He takes control of his own destiny in a way, and ultimately leads to his demise. But yeah, that I don't really relate to eight either, but... Yeah, no, I really like that. And our last Enneagram number, number nine, my dear number nine, (laughs) number nine is the peacemaker. So they're like the easygoing type that just doesn't want to ruffle any feathers. um, And their main goal in life is to have inner stability and that peace of mind. So they want to create harmony in their environment to avoid conflicts and tension pretty much at all costs, (laughs) to preserve things Mm -hmm. as they are, to resist whatever would upset or disturb them. And I really relate to this because for the longest time I had that feeling of like, almost that floaty identity of I don't want to be the one to break the peace and I just want to like go with the flow um I just want everyone to be happy and it was almost like it okay maybe this is unhealthy but for me that uh want to have peace of mind manifested itself in a way where I almost like it was like almost a bit of an idealist's mindset where I wanted to have the peace of mind of living a quote-unquote perfect life and pretending that I was living in a perfect world. And as Amy mentioned earlier, there are downsides of that. Mm-hmm. But but there are also upsides to it as well. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I really relate to like the peace at all costs kind of mindset too. Yeah, nines are like really beautiful in a way like the idealists the ones who view life in a more positive light and then as we've said I think like once you see life in a more positive light then more positive things naturally come your way anyways yes I agree with that and regardless of what Enneagram type number you are regardless of whether or not you're into the Enneagram whether or not you have a type number we love you and no matter what we're really really appreciative of you for sticking around and listening to our episodes um if you are any of the Enneagram type numbers that related to anything that we said please let us know because I like I'm so invested in this now and also if you just have any feedback on this episode or just any comments please please do reach out we always love hearing what you have to say you can find us on instagram at to be honest pod as always thank you so much for your support feel free to hop on over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify and leave us a rating or share the podcast with anyone who you think might be interested and to be honest (laughs) <laughs> it yes. is 11:12 right now and I think we are both so loopy. Thanks for thanks for being here. We appreciate it. And with that, we'll, we'll see, see you next, next week. week.